Sermons from Union Chapel Baptist Church. So we'll be continuing our series through the book of Matthew, going verse by verse, seeing what God has for us in His Word. We'll be in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 27. And the title of today's message is Jesus, the Sovereign Shepherd Sower. That is, Jesus is the Sovereign. He is the King. And we'll see how Jesus is the Compassionate Shepherd the son of David, the ultimate heir of the throne, the ultimate shepherd king. And then lastly, we'll see how Jesus is the sower. That is, he is the harvester. He is the one who who sows the seed of the good news, who brings out the kingdom of God and, and works the field. And he calls us to also work the harvest. So we'll see four main parts today. We'll see how Jesus heals the blind. We'll see how Jesus heals the mute. How Jesus has compassion on his people. And then lastly, we'll see how Jesus sends us out. So uh, it was my kid's birthday uh, this past weekend. We had their birthday party. And so they're really excited, uh, obviously, about their birthday and so if you ask them, you know, hey, hey, Eloise, hey, Leland, how's it going? They're like, it's my birthday. Here, I got this. I got there really excited. They want to tell you about it, right? And so today, one of the main things is we should be really excited about who Jesus is and what he's done. We say, hey, Jesus did this. He's, he, he healed me. He, he saved me from sin. Can I tell you about Jesus? And so that is one main thing, how I want us to see who Jesus is As we'll see in verse 27, how these blind men, although they could not see physically, they could see spiritually. So starting in verse 27, Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. So we have seen week after week after week of going through Matthew's gospel, we have seen how Jesus is merciful. How he is compassionate. Last week we saw how Jesus had mercy and compassion on a, on a woman who was suffering both physically and uh, being isolated from the community of God. She was in real suffering. Jesus heals her. He saves her from her disease and brings her back into the community of God. Last week we also saw how Jesus saved a religious leader's daughter from the grips of death. By raising her from the dead. In these miracles, Jesus shows, that, shows us how he is compassionate. He shows us his power also to save us from our sins and eternal death. Because these miracles point to that ultimate salvation of giving us new life now and eternal life. And so now when we see two blind men crying up for Jesus to have mercy on them... We see here Jesus emphasizes the importance of giving mercy to others. We saw this in Matthew 9, 13, when Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So as one commentator points out, how Jesus is putting into practice what he preached. We serve a God who fulfills his promises and true to his word. Let us worship and trust in Jesus and also imitate him. For let us also practice what we preach. And the blind men ask for Jesus to heal them by asking him to have mercy on them. 
God, have mercy with us. And they call him the son of David. Because they, and they realized it was, they were in need of mercy because it was an undeserved gift. And they call him the son of David. And now this is an interesting title that derives from an old te- the Old Testament. And we talked about this when I first began many months ago on February 28th. I preached a sermon on Matthew 1.1. And we talked about how when it says, when it introduced Jesus to us in the first verse of this gospel, when it reads, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Now, what does it mean? What is it significant for Jesus to be called the son of David? Here, Matthew is focusing on how Jesus is the ultimate anointed king. Because he points out how Jesus is in the lineage of David. And in Matthew 1.6, Matthew emphasizes Jesus' kingship, for he calls David King David. And everyone, every Jewish person growing up, they would be listening to the Old Testament, and they would know that David is the human king of Israel. If you said, who's the king of Israel in the past? It's David. Because God is the ultimate king. David is the human king. Now in Jesus, fully God, fully man, he will be the king of Israel and the entire world. And what kind of king would Jesus be? He would be the great shepherd king, showing compassion over his flock, taking care of them, as prophesied in Ezekiel 34, verse 23. God says that he will establish over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will shepherd them. He will tend them, he will tend them himself, and he and will be their shepherd. So there's talking pointing forward to the Messiah. Jesus is David's son. In the lineage of David, Jesus is the shepherd king prophesied in the Old Testament. So when we look back at Matthew 9, 27, we see how while the men were physically blind, they had 20-20 spiritual vision because they knew better than the religious leaders of the day. For they knew and trusted in Jesus as the son of David, the shepherd king, the one promised to bring the kingdom of God And part of the bringing of the kingdom, part of the mission, is to bring mercy and healing. Jesus points this out when they asked him, are you the one promised to come or should we be awaiting for someone else to come? He says in Matthew 11, 5, he says, I'm the one to come because look, 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 look around. What do you see? The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus says, look, I'm healing the blind. The blind receive their sight. Yes, I am the promised Messiah. I am the one promised in the Old Testament. And so for us today, we can't miss this. We actually need to be like these blind men. We need to be like them because they see Jesus for who he is. And they place their trust in him. And in verse 28, we see he entered the house. That is, Jesus entered the house. The blind man approached him. And Jesus said to them, do you believe that I can do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Jesus, again, not making a public spectacle of his healing, but he's meek and mild. He gets off the busy street and goes into a house. And he asks, the men, he asks about the men's belief. He asks about their trust in his power to heal. And they respond that they do believe, that they do trust in him. 
And they also address Jesus as Lord, recognizing Jesus is more than a mere man, but God in the flesh, the promised Messiah, the son of David. And then we read in verse 29. He touched their eyes, saying, let it be done for you according to your faith. Now, we've already talked about how Jesus can heal with just a word. He doesn't need to physically touch them to heal them. But here we see the emphasis on Jesus's willingness to draw near to those who are unclean. As we saw last week, Jesus touches and is willing to touch the unclean and make them clean. I think this is what is going on here with the blind men. Because Leviticus 21.20 actually prohibits a man with defective sight from joining the priesthood. And some Jews back then prohibited blind people from actually entering even the city of Jerusalem. They would have been uh, seen as defiling the city by some Jews. So perhaps Jesus touches their eyes out of compassion. Showing that despite being looked down upon by others or being considered unclean, Jesus draws near to them so that they might feel a special significance in his touch, given their lack of sight. And Jesus heals them, he says, according to their faith. We have seen the theme of faith in others as well. We've seen the faith of the centurion, the Roman soldier, the faith of the leper, the faith of the father of the girl who was dead. We saw the faith of the suffering woman. Jesus is calling us yet again to put our faith in him. While Jesus can and does heal physical diseases still today, we've prayed for people, um, we've seen people healed, um, and I've heard stories about miraculous healings from, from you guys in the congregation. God still heals. But the more important thing is that God heals us of our sin and heals us of eternal death. And that healing is guaranteed to everyone who trusts in Jesus as their God, Savior, and King. And in verse 30, we see their healing. It says, Their eyes were opened. Then Jesus warned them sternly, Be sure that no one finds out. So first, notice how Matthew describes the miracle. He says that their eyes were opened. He doesn't say they were healed, but he chooses this language, I think, to refer back to Isaiah 35, in which we open today's service with, Isaiah 35, in which he describes the promised day of God's coming. God's coming to bring his kingdom in in Isaiah 35. And then in verse 5, we see part of God's kingdom coming is that the eyes of the blind will be opened. It's that same phrase that Matthew uses. Their eyes were opened. So Matthew is showing us that Jesus is God. Because Isaiah 35 is talking about God coming. And who is, who is, who is Jesus? Who is he coming? He, Jesus is the one. Jesus is God with us healing the blind. He is bringing God's kingdom. He is the one who opens their eyes. And additionally, additionally, this miracle is unique and amazing, showing who Jesus is, because no one else in the Old Testament is there a story about someone healing the blind. And this is affirmed in John 9.32, because it speaks about the uniqueness of Jesus and his miraculous power. When it says, throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. So we can't miss it. We can't miss the significance of what Jesus is doing, the significance of who Jesus is. But oddly enough, the second part of this verse, in verse 30, Jesus says, he tells them, he tells them sternly, 
not to tell anyone about this miracle. It's really interesting. And we talked about this a little bit before in Matthew. Because Jesus does not want to make um, his miracles a public spectacle. He's not putting on a show. And he's, he's really fulfilling Isaiah 42, verse 2, when it says that the Messiah, he will come and he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Because Jesus came to serve and help people, not to put on a show. As one commentator writes, Although miracles will attest the authenticity of his gospel message about the arrival of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus does not want crowds to clamor for the miracles alone or to think of him simply as a messianic wonder worker. He's not just a wonder worker, but he is the Savior who's come to bring salvation from sin. And so after telling them sternly not to tell anyone, we see in verse 31, But they went out and spread the news about him throughout that whole area. So we have learned from the blind man to see Jesus for who he truly is. But we must also learn from their mistakes. Jesus made it clear and sternly told them not to tell anyone. For then was not the time to tell of Jesus' miracles. They trusted Jesus to heal. They should have also trusted in Jesus to obey. This is the same is true for us. We should come to faith in Jesus to save us from our sins, but we must also obey him. Obey him as our good shepherd and our good king. And an important thing to point out here in verse 31 is that some commands in scripture are for certain people at certain times. So for example, verse 30, you can't say, "Well, Jesus said not to tell anyone about him." So that's why I'm not going to go tell people about Jesus, right? That's not, that would be taking a verse out of context and out of, uh, out of the rest of the scriptures. Because that was for a particular time and place. Because now, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he commands his disciples to go out and tell and spread the news. So now is the time to follow Jesus in obedience by spreading the news of his miracles. Spreading the news of how he has opened your eyes to see him for who he is. The sovereign shepherd so we're. Now we transition into the second healing where Jesus will heal a demon-possessed man. In verse 32, it reads, Just as they were going out, a demon-possessed man was, who was unable to speak was brought to him. When the demon had been driven out, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed, saying, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. So here again, we see the connection between the spiritual and the physical. While we must not assume this is the case for every infirmity or every illness, in this particular case, the demon was causing the man to suffer by removing the man's ability to speak. Jesus again shows his power over the demons. And he also fulfills Isaiah 35, verse 6. We've already looked at how he fulfills verse 5. Now he fulfills verse 6 when it says the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. For Jesus heals the mute. He, he allows him to speak again. And like the healing of the blind, the Old Testament does not record the healing of, of anyone who is mute. And that's why the crowd declares in verse 33, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel, showing that Jesus is unique. He is the promised Messiah. He is God himself bringing in the kingdom with mercy and compassion 
on the sick and hurting. But let's look at how the Pharisees respond in verse 34. It says, The Pharisees said, after seeing this, He drives out demons by the ruler of demons. So unlike the blind who could see spiritually, the Pharisees, they can see physically but not spiritually. Because they call, uh, Jesus actually calls the Pharisees blind six times in Matthew's gospel. We've already seen the religious leaders accuse Jesus of blasphemy. Uh, they, they basically claim that Jesus was performing, uh, do, trying to do something that only God can do. That he was pretending to be like God. And now they try to explain away his power as being from Satan, the ruler of demons. Now Jesus will respond to their accusation in, in more detail in Matthew 12, verse 25. So we'll discuss that in more detail then. But here we just want to note that the Pharisees, as one commentator writes, the Pharisees do not deny Jesus' mighty works. So the burning issue in verse 34 is not what Jesus did, but what his deeds mean. So what does it mean for Jesus to heal? Why do we read about his miracles? One commentator goes on to explain that by constantly citing and alluding to the scriptures, that is the Old Testament, Matthew is showing that Jesus is the Messiah, the true fulfillment in letter and spirit of the oracles of God. That is why it's important. That is why we read the scriptures. That is why this is what these miracles mean. The Pharisees do not want to accept that Jesus is God. They don't want to accept that he is the Messiah, that he is the teacher with authority. So they try to explain away his power. Their presuppositions did not allow them to see Jesus for who he was. They were not willing to change their beliefs in light of the evidence. We must not make the same mistake. When coming face to face with the evidence that Jesus is the Messiah, let us be willing to take an honest look and be willing to accept the truth. If people in Jesus' time saw the miracles and still rejected him, we should also be prepared for people to reject him today as well. But no matter how many, how people may respond, we have to first get ourselves right with Jesus. We must first believe and keep the faith and continue, no matter how they may respond, we must continue to share about who Jesus is and what he's done, which is what Jesus does in the next verse. Despite being ridiculed and rejected, Jesus continues showing grace and compassion. And let us do the same as well. Because even though he was ridiculed and rejected, he, he still goes around proclaiming the kingdom of God. In verse 35, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. Now, this is a summary of what Jesus is doing. We've seen particular isolated events of how he is healing, the miracles he's doing, and the preaching he's done. We've seen the same summary in Matthew 4.23. Jesus taught what it means to live in his kingdom. We saw Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And he continued to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And the ultimate good news of the kingdom is the open invitation of salvation. For everyone who responds in faith, you can enter into God's kingdom and live by his spirit. And not only did he teach and preach about the kingdom, he also lived it out and proved that he was the Messiah through his healing miracles and to show that the kingdom of God had begun.
And in verse 36, as he's going around teaching, preaching, healing, he says he saw the crowds. He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. See, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were supposed to be the shepherd of God's people. They were supposed to be taking care of them. But we've seen over and over again that the religious leaders of his day did not understand and they did not teach the Old Testament properly because they were focused on external rituals. They were not focused on or cared anything about internal purity. They were prideful. They were not compassionate. They were not compassionate towards the sick nor the sinful. Thus, the people of Israel were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. The Pharisees were supposed to shepherd the people of Israel and care for them, but they acted more like ravenous wolves. Thus, Jesus has come, the son of David, the great shepherd king, to show compassion on the people. As one commentator puts it, Jesus' heart went out to the people. He had compassion. His heart went out to them. And again, Jesus is the fulfillment of Ezekiel 34, 23. And God says, I will establish over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will shepherd them. He will tend them himself and will be their shepherd. And so when we look back in verse 36 and we reflect on what this means for us, perhaps you feel distressed. Perhaps you feel dejected. Perhaps you feel harassed or confused. Maybe you're exhausted because you have been living without a shepherd to lead you beside still waters. Perhaps you've been living without a shepherd to guide you along the narrow path. Living without a shepherd to protect you from Satan, sin, and all its influences. So recognize the state of life you're in if this is you. How you are a helpless sheep without a shepherd and Come to Jesus. Come to the great shepherd king who can save you and lead you into abundant life. Protect you. He has compassion on you. Give you a life of purpose. Lead you and empower you to live a life for God. Or perhaps you have heard of Jesus. Perhaps you've trusted in him and followed him for a while. But as sheep are prone to do, you may have gotten lost along the way. And maybe you've been living without Jesus as your shepherd for some time. Been living out in the wilderness of sin and darkness. May today be the day when your eyes are opened to the light of Jesus and see him as he truly is. Draw close to him once again. Because Jesus is there. He's caring. He's compassionate. And he puts those emotions into action through his healings. And ultimately through his death on the cross so that you can be forgiven of your sins and saved from eternal death. And if you have trusted in Jesus as your God, as your Savior and your King, and you you followed close behind your good shepherd, I want you to be encouraged today to imitate Jesus by spreading the good news to others who do not have Jesus as their shepherd. Share the good news with those outside the kingdom of God. Share the good news of how Jesus, the shepherd, laid down his life for his sheep so that they can have abundant and eternal life. That's what Jesus is message. That's what he tells his disciples to do in verse 37. He sends us out. He sends his disciples out. He said to his disciples, 
The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. So while Jesus is the ultimate shepherd, he's the ultimate teacher and preacher, he also wants to involve his disciples in the work of the ministry. He wants his sheep to help bring in other sheep to the fold. That is one reason why he calls people to follow him. He calls his disciples so that he can train them to lead others into the kingdom. As we saw when Jesus said to Peter and Andrew in Matthew 4, 19, he said to them, follow me, not just follow me, but I will make you fishers of men. That is one of the reasons why we follow Jesus, so that he can make us fishers of men. So in essence, the ocean is full of fish and the harvest is abundant The opportunity is there. It is our responsibility to cast the net, to work the harvest. So when Jesus says the workers are few, in verse 37, Matthew 9, 37, he says the workers are few. One commentator points out that this is quite the understatement. Because at this point, Jesus is the only worker. He's the only one going and proclaiming the kingdom of God. His disciples are just following along. So he says... Since there are just a few workers, verse 38, how do we go about solving this? He says, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. As one commentator points out, how after observing the tragic situation, how the the harvest is great, the laborers are few, Jesus does not weep and grieve, but asks for prayer. He says, faith responds to the situation of crisis by turning towards God. Likewise, we should depend on God even in our mission endeavors. Like everything in life, it is by the power and grace of God. Let us be the people of prayer. Be people that pray that God would send out workers into the harvest. Send out missionaries to unreached people groups. Send out people just across the street even. To people who may have never heard the gospel. And when we pray, you never know how God may answer your prayer. Because he could be sending you into the harvest. For that is what will happen with Jesus' disciples. Because here, Jesus tells them to pray that God would send out workers. And guess who he sends out? Matthew ten five, Jesus sent out these 12. So he says, pray for, Jesus to, for God to send someone out. And guess what? It's going to be you. And so when we look back in verse 38, not all Christians will be full-time missionaries. But all Christians can pray for those missionaries. All Christians can work the garden in their local community. Because while Jesus calls us to depend on him, to trust in him with our lives, believe in his death and resurrection, he also calls us to work. Now this is not work that earns forgiveness, but work that flows out of already being forgiven. And the work is bringing more people into the forgiveness of God. There are people and family members that you know that are far from God. And you may be their only interaction with someone that follows Jesus. They may have never even interacted with another Christian besides you. So go to work in the harvest by showing them the love and grace of God. Go to work in the harvest by serving them. Not so that they can pay you back. But as a free gift, go to the work in the harvest by speaking well of your fellow church members. Go to work in the harvest by showing them that you love your fellow brother and sister in Christ. Because as one pastor recently pointed out this week, in the midst of our culture today, 
just being nice to people, really just not being a jerk to somebody, people will notice something different about you. The bar is set so low in our culture today that if we're just nice to others, people will recognize something different about us. So imagine the reaction of people when not only are you nice, but you actually and genuinely show grace and love towards people. They would know that you are the child of God. They would know that something is different about you, that God is doing something in your life. Now, I know it's easier said than done to love and show grace to people. I know, especially when it comes to issues that you're passionate about and when people disagree about the issues that are really important to us or, or even mean to you about something. While not easy, Jesus calls us to be workers of his harvest, and he gave us his example. He showed us what it looks like to love. He showed us what it looks like to sacrifice, for he gave his life for us. Let us trust in him and sacrificially love those around us. So let me close with this illustration uh, I adapted from Thomas Weedles. He had an illustration called The Life-Saving Station. My illustration is going to be building off of that, but it's going to be called The Life-Saving Harvest. So once upon a time, there was a community farm in which people came together to harvest the fields. There were always so much crop to harvest, the volunteers were always recruiting others to help them. However, over time, people began, became unhappy with the farm equipment. They were tired of working out in the heat, so they pulled their money together to make the farm a more comfortable place to be, and they decorated it and made it very nice. The farm soon became a popular gathering place for volunteers to hang out and have a good time. And then they were no longer interested in working the harvest, so they hired people to do it. But the hired workers, while bringing in the harvest, often messed up the lawn of the, gar- of the farm, and they dirtied the carpet of the farmhouse. So most of the members of the farmhouse wanted to stop harvesting altogether and make the farm into a mere meeting place. Our church is not to be like this. Our church is not to be a mere meeting place where we once used to work the harvest, but we are to be a working farm, praying and working together to gather the harvest. And in the midst of harvesting, we're going to get our hands dirty. There's going to be tire tracks left on the lawn, but that's part of the job. That's part of the mission. And remember, if it wasn't for a harvest worker, you wouldn't be here where you are today. So join in the work of God. Get involved in the ways that you can. Pray for God to send out workers to the harvest and work together. Love one another as we worship and bring others to worship Jesus, the sovereign shepherd sower. Thanks for listening. For more information, see unionchapelbaptist.org.